Hello, everyone. Welcome to the ASQ blog podcast. The ASQ blog is a student-run community of scholars who enjoy reading articles from the Administrative Science Quarterly. My name is Samantha E. Erskine, one of your co-hosts today. I am a fifth-year PhD candidate in organizational behavior at the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Lorenzo Scade. I'm a fourth-year PhD student in management and organization theory at the European University Viadrina in Frankfurt, Germany. Today, we are joined by Dr. Lisa Butcher, an assistant professor at Emilion Business School in France. What a great global conversation we're going to have today. Lisa, many thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be with you today. So, Lisa, you conducted an inductive longitudinal case study of five LGBT rights activist networks in France and explored the ways in which they produce content and ready-to-use implementation resources that reflect changes the activists want to see and to leverage more performative, in-depth, and relevant change in organizations. What inspired the research context for your paper? Uh, thank you very much for the question. Uh, so my dissertation was on uh, about how activists were reacting uh, to the development of diversity programs and corporations, and I was interested in knowing uh, do they think this is relevant type of programs? Uh, what do they do about it? Do they want to engage uh, with the development of this type of programs? Uh, so this is how uh, I got interested in this topic, uh, and I started with a very ethnographic approach. So I followed activists who collaborated with companies on uh, improving their diversity commitments. Uh, and I followed groups uh, that covered a pretty broad range of topics, uh, ranging from Muslim communities in France, uh, LGBT communities, and people with disabilities. Uh, we were all trying to improve the way corporations approached uh, diversity programs and the things that they did in companies to uh, be better inclusive of these different minorities. Interesting. So you use the term LGBT in your paper, but people often say LGBTQ, LGBTQQI, and even LGBTQ2S. What was your rationale for using LGBT versus other acronyms? Uh, yeah, thank you for this question. I think it's a very important question. Uh, well, what I try to do in general in my research is to use the concepts that are used by the actors themselves. Uh, so in these cases, uh, I interviewed uh, quite a few uh, LGBT activists, and this is the way they define themselves when I interviewed them. So around uh, 2015, uh, 2016, and maybe it would have evolved if I interviewed them in 2021. Uh, and I also uh, based my uh, word choice on the archives uh, that I used, uh, where these activists kind of used mostly a framing around LGBT uh, questions and around the fight against homophobia uh, and later on transphobia. And so, as I explained in the paper, uh, they first focused on homophobia and really expanded uh, to questions of uh, being better uh, inclusive uh, of transgender people later on. And so they covered uh, more the fight against uh, transphobia later on. Uh, so this was a big question for me on how to really reflect the type of action that they were actually engaged in uh, when I was writing this paper. Uh, so at that point, 
notions such as queer were almost absent uh, from the data I have. So I try to stick with the use of the word that uh, they thought were relevant uh, to address these questions in corporations. Thank you. Um, I would like to know, so your um, analysis is based on the longitudinal data you collected on the website of the LGBT networks. Could you please elaborate on how you utilized NVivo for data management and how utilizing a grounded theory approach in NVivo helped you um, to uncover the organization's strategies, challenges and successes in depth and over time? Uh, thank you very much. Also a great question. Uh, I think NVivo is really a wonderful tool uh, for conducting inductive research. Uh, and for me, it was tremendously helpful to keep track of when things occurred, when I was kind of knee-deep uh, in the archival data, because uh, I was kind of uh, trying to code all of this textual analysis and knowing when things happen uh, was really important uh, to help me have this kind of longitudinal and also bird-eye view uh, of the data that I was coding. Uh, so I don't think I would have been able to see any of the, in any other ways, uh, how the first strategy of these actors were always, uh, first and foremost, uh, to design their own implementation resources before they use all this kind of repertoire that we traditionally uh, associate with uh, activists uh, and insider activists, such as uh, denunciation, making claims, creating reputational threats for organization. Uh, all of these things did happen in my data, but they happened later on uh, after activists tried to design uh, resources uh, and only if the organization didn't really uh, accept to embrace the resources that were developed by the activists. Um, so I still try to code everything manually uh, to keep this inductive approach and being really grounded in the data, uh, which is very time consuming. Uh, but I think Envivo was really extremely helpful to develop kind of second order categories from my initial codes and also across uh, the five cases uh, and then Vivo was also super helpful to see how these categories were spread uh, spread out over time uh, and it also helped me design the graph uh, that shows how new topics emerge throughout time uh, so I had this idea that like for instance uh, uh, the fight against transphobia was not really present in the early 2000s but it was really the use of the um, the kind of word frequency uh, options of NVivo that enabled me to see, okay, this term started to be used around this year and it, very, it really peaked around 2016, 2017. Uh, so this was really helpful, uh, and, but it kind of was helpful uh, in the second time after I started to develop my own uh, initial analysis of what was happening with the data. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Thank you. Um, how did your findings take shape in the process of writing your paper? And uh, what's, what was the most surprising element of your findings? Uh, thank you. Uh, so I think uh, I really took an inductive approach. And so what was really surprising for me was to understand that uh, the main strategy of this activist was really to develop uh, these programs to design uh, what I called implementation resources. Uh, and what was really surprising is what, that when I came back to the literature on this question, uh, I thought that this was something that probably uh, was studied elsewhere uh, and realizing that actually 
actually we knew very little about how insider activists uh, designed this type of implementation resources was kind of surprising for me. Uh, and I think that this comes from the uh, this the fact that we have this vision of activists as people who are mostly uh, creating kind of contentious um, contentiousness and have contentious tactics. Uh, and so what uh, my data showed me is that uh, it draws a picture of activists uh, as being more kind of allies uh, to organization. They are allies to developing programs within organization. They gave a lot of time and energy to design these programs uh, uh, and to design programs that are both relevant for them, uh, but also for the hiring organization. And I think such an image is still very different from the image that we have when we say the word activist. Uh, and so I think it needs to be better understood and uh, uh, it's still something that uh, I think is not really realized by people who see activists as mostly being threatening uh, to organizations. Thanks a lot, very insightful. Yes. So Lisa, you conducted and published the study as a solo author. Amazing. What was your journey like from ideation to submission to publishing this paper in ASQ? Thank you for the question. Uh, so I was still a doctoral student when I wrote this paper first. Uh, it was part of the research I was doing uh, uh, for my dissertation, uh, and uh, it actually emerged from uh, meeting a couple of activists, uh, LGBT activists, who told me about uh, the action that they were doing uh, inside their organization. Uh, and they said, oh, and if you want to have more information about this, you can check out uh, my website. And then I realized that uh, this kind of website were kind of gold mines because they existed for quite a few of these internal networks. And there were tools used by these activists, but it was also a great way to trace uh, their strategies and actions from the early 2000s when uh, uh, civil unions become, became legal between same-sex partners in France. Uh, so that was a, a great uh, resource. And I, I wasn't planning to use archives so much uh, in my final dissertation. But uh, when I discovered this data, I really found, found it very powerful. And I said, OK, I need to do something about it. Um, I did submit an early draft of this paper to another journal, uh, and it was rejected, uh, which is uh, my way to say to you that uh, you should never get discouraged, and even if you get rejection from trying to submit a paper, uh, this is great to keep trying. <laughs> Uh, and so my second, uh, but I, so when I received the feedback from uh, this third journal, uh, I reworked the paper and the feedback were actually quite insightful. Uh, and then I submitted it to ASQ uh, and the whole process with ASQ was uh, honestly amazing. Uh, I think I've never received feedback that I felt was so both uh, constructive and uh, very taking care of me and trying to make me write a better paper. So I really enjoyed reworking the paper, uh, even though it was stressful because uh, it was a potentially very important stake for my academic career. Uh, but I felt like the reviewer were all here to help me uh, make this paper a stronger one, which was a great experience. Uh, and I also immensely appreciated that uh, ASQ gave me feedback promptly, uh, which was not always my experience with uh, other academic journals. So this whole process was really good. And I think the paper is much sharper thanks to the type of feedback I got from the reviewers. Wow, such really great insights. And 
within the context of you writing this as part of your dissertation and then needing this to figure out your career, I'm wondering if you could share that timeline. I know this is not what we talked about in advance, but you just brought it up. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about publishing this being coinciding with you looking for jobs. Well, the, uh, the great news for me is that I actually got my job before the ASQ paper was, <laughs> uh, was accepted. Uh, I received the first R&R from this ASQ paper, uh, I think one month into my new job as an assistant professor. Uh, so I think it was still very important because I'm on a tenure track, uh, uh, position and therefore the fact that I published this ASQ is a game changer for me and my academic career, uh, which was really important. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I, I submitted the paper in ASQ when I was still on the job market, but I received the R&R, uh, after I, uh, I started the position. Uh, I don't know if it answered your question. Yes, exciting. Congratulations on that. The timing worked perfectly. So you mentioned that you got really good feedback that was constructive and also took care of you. What was some of the feedback? Uh, I think that uh, what is still staying with me is, and what I found was the most impressive was this one reviewer. Uh, we went back and reading uh, a few of the academic articles that I was already discussing because they, uh, the reviewer thought uh, that these ideas were already present uh, in the work uh, existing in the literature. So they went back to this uh, literature and specifically pinpointed the way I indeed contribute to this literature, which felt amazing. Uh, first, because they took the time to do that and they took the care to do that. Uh, and uh, and so indeed, after going back to these papers, uh, they were convinced uh, that I actually had a contribution to make, but they helped me rephrase this contribution in a way that uh, felt more convincing to them, uh, which uh, I felt like they were doing my my job uh, <laughs> as a as a writer. But it was uh, it was really a great feedback, and I could see that uh, this reviewer, uh, in particular, spent a lot of time working on my paper with me, uh, and gave me very to the point uh, feedback on this paper. That sounds so amazing. How did you manage to balance work and your life during that time? Yeah, great question. Um, so like I said, I received my first r and uh, as I just started a job as an assistant professor in my new school here at uh, EM Lyon. Uh, so the first round of revision was really intense for me uh, because I was uh, designing and teaching uh, three new classes at the same time. Uh, but I felt like I was given the necessary time to do all the revisions, which was great. They gave me six months, I think. Uh, and the feedback were very uh, clear. And I think I had the great chance of having the three reviewers have, going in kind of the same direction. And I know that sometimes a huge tension is like if the reviewer disagree about what is important in your paper. Uh, actually, there was one point of disagreement, now that I think about it. Uh, one of the reviewers hoped that I would uh, develop my paper in another direction. So I had to make this kind of uh, decision I was, as I was re rewriting the paper. But, uh, but yeah, the first few months were really intense just because uh, starting as a full-time professor uh, was taking a lot of my energy as well, uh, but I wanted to do my research work uh, as well as I could. Thank you for these insights. 
One final question, Lisa. Um, what advice would you give junior scholars, including PhD students and junior faculty members, on publishing qualitative research about diversity and activism in ASQ? Thank you. So from my experience, I would say go for it. Uh, I think ASQ is a great uh, journal to publish your research on such topics. They are very welcoming and very interested in these topics. Uh, and it's always a journal that I have uh, loved to read. Uh, and therefore, I'm very happy to have been able to publish my research there. Uh, maybe one advice would be make sure that you send something where you are confident that your data are very strong and uh, where you can see that you have a significant contribution to make. Um, but I think, uh, especially for instance, uh, people who are finishing their PhD, uh, they oftentimes have a very impressive fieldwork uh, with them. And so it may be a great time to try to uh, publish uh, a paper based on the, the data that they collected during their PhD. Uh, I think it's a good idea. Uh, and my second advice really would be, uh, please do that to send your research there. Uh, and uh, I know there is kind of self-censorship processes when you're uh, conducting research, especially as a young scholar, when you're trying to understand how everything works. Uh, so I think that uh, SQ is very professional and I found very friendly uh, and they give feedback fairly quickly which is also great um, so that would be another advice uh, and I'm pretty sure that uh, you both have this but I, uh, something that I found is really important is to have a community of people who can give you feedback before you actually submit your paper uh, to an academic journal uh, I really had the luck to have that at uh, Northwestern University when I was doing my research. Uh, we had a wonderful workshop for helping graduate students uh, receive feedback on their paper, uh, both from peers but also from uh, faculty here. Uh, for instance, Braden King was tremendously helpful uh, to work with me. Uh, and uh, there is the same type of culture in my new school, which I'm very happy about because I think we need to support one another too. Uh, be ready to submit papers that are already in great shape. Thank you so much for your advice, Lisa. You're welcome. Well, that's all the questions we have for you, Lisa. We really appreciate your time today and these really great insights that I know everyone listening and reading the transcript will really appreciate too. Any final thoughts before we end? Uh, no, I don't know. I think uh, your podcast project is a very exciting one, and uh, I, I enjoyed uh, preparing this uh, podcast review. So thank you very much for your work, uh, and I think it's creating very interesting communities around uh, the question of publishing research. So thank you for that. Awesome. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. <laughs>